Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Great. Y'all glad to be in church today? Amen. Amen. I see some of you wearing your gear. All right. I see a few Baylor Bears out there. Yeah, yeah. I see a few Aggies out there. They always whoop. I don't quite get that. I'm a Red Raider. I don't understand all that. I see a few, uh, let's see, any OU Sooners out there? <laughs> Loud and proud in the back. There we go. Uh, any uh, UT Longhorns? We got to pray for them, you know? Just need to pray for those Longhorns, all right? Amen. That's right. They're happy. They're, wearing, they're getting all it out of mothballs. They're wearing, they're wearing their jerseys now. That's right. Uh, you know, every team wants to be the best, right? And every player, every uh, athlete wants to be the greatest. It, it, that's why they do it. They want to be the greatest of all time. I remember Lee Rusan, who played in the NFL. He tells a story about how he was uh, a part of the All-Star game right out of college. They put up, kind of pulled together some of the best players in college, and uh, they all played the old blue-gray game. And he was a part of that, and so he was getting on the bus, going to practice for the first time, and there was only one seat left on the bus, so he sat down uh, on that one seat, and he was sitting next to a guy, and uh, Lee Rusan turned in, he said, hey, uh, my name's uh, Lee Rusan, he said, who are you? And uh, the young man next to him, the player next to him said, well, I am the greatest receiver on this football team. He said, well, all right, that's... I'm sure that's probably true, but uh, who are you? And he said, I am the greatest receiver to ever play in the NFL. And Rusan kind of chuckled. He said, dude, you're not even drafted yet. <laughs> you know, how can you be the greatest in the NFL? Who are, come on, who are you? He said, I am the greatest one to ever play the game of football. He said, what? Who are you? He said, my name is Jerry Rice. And if you know anything about Jerry Rice, you know, Jerry Rice went on to be probably the greatest player of all time. I mean, Jerry Rice had over uh, 1,200 uh, uh, reception, receptions and over 22,000 receiving yards, uh, three-time Super Bowl, 13-time Pro Bowl, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. And yet, Jerry Rice really wasn't that great on paper. If you looked at him, you know, he wasn't really, uh, didn't come from a great place. Little podunk town in Mississippi, went to a small little Mississippi Valley College, not really uh, a big-name school. Uh, he wasn't very tall, only about six foot two. wasn't really that fast, ran a 4'7", wasn't really that impressive, yet who he was... And what he did on the field just set him heads and shoulders above everybody else. He was the greatest of all time. Now listen, we, we, we're wearing our colors today of our favorite team, but, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you wear colors every day as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if somebody were to ask uh, you what the, the Lee Rusan question, well, what's, so, what's the big deal about Jesus? Who is he anyway? You would say, man, he's the greatest of all time. He is the greatest of all time. There's not anybody like him, no one that rivals him. He is the greatest of all time. And you say, yeah, okay, well, what's the big deal about Jesus? What makes him so different than everybody else? And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right, I want you to get your Bibles out. I want you to open it up to the book of Colossians chapter 1. This is probably the greatest passage in the whole Bible about uh, the supremacy of Jesus, the, uh, the greatness of Jesus, what sets Jesus apart 
more than anybody else. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, here we go. This is the word of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Well, this is one of the greatest passages ever written about Jesus Christ and what sets him above all else. The 14 times Jesus is referenced, him, his, uh, 14 times in this little passage, all about Jesus Christ. And I want, you, I want to show you one verse that really is the, the main idea. I want you to look at verse 18. It says, in everything, he might be preeminent. That word, circle that word preeminent. That word preeminent, this is the only place in the Bible where this word appears. Only in this one spot. Uh, the word preeminent, the Latin uh, derivative, which we get the word preeminent from, uh, literally means uh, to stand above or to stand out. It's the same Latin word where we get the word mountain. Right. Uh, several years ago, I took my youngest daughter on a mountain climbing trip to New Mexico. We went to climb Wheeler Peak, which is the largest, tallest peak in New Mexico. So we drive all the way out there. She sleeps most of the way. I'm driving. I'm the dad. And uh, we wake up, honey. We're there. Anyway, and we get, we get to Taos, and uh, we get some supplies. Whatnot. Then we pull out of Taos, and we're headed toward the peak. And it was obvious which one was Wheeler Peak. All right. It was obvious. It just, it just stood as this massive peak in front of us. No other peak around it could even get close because it was preeminent, right? It was prominent. It was head and shoulders above every other peak. Well, that, that is what Jesus Christ is like. He is head and shoulders above anybody else. He, he's not like Muhammad. He's not like Buddha. He's not like Krishna. He's not like the Dalai Lama. He is preeminent. He is above. He is ahead of everybody else. He's preeminent. Uh, the Greek word for preeminent there is the word protos, uh, which we get is translated first, first place, first in authority, first in kind, uh, first uh, above all else, uh, Jesus in first place, uh, that's what it means. Uh, he's not second place, he's not third, he's not honorable mention, he's not down on the list. He is first place. That's what Paul is driving at. Now, by the way, why is Paul writing this? Why is he going to such lengths to drive home that Jesus is in first place, that he's preeminent? Well, it's because the, 
There were some people in Colossae in this town where, into which he's writing to the church there that were teaching that Jesus was not God, but he was one emanation of God. He was, a, a, he was a, literally a way to God, but he was not the way to God, right? He was an a way, but not the way. And he was like, no, 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 he's, he's first, He's first. Now, listen, we live in a culture very much like the culture in Colossae. Uh, you, you pray to God, a generic God, and nobody's got any problem with that, all right? But the minute you start talking about Jesus, and Jesus is first, and Jesus is the only way, they're going to say, whoa, 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 you can't, can't say that, man. That's, 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 uh, that's too exclusive. That's offensive. That's, you you, you can't, can't talk like that about Jesus, but yet Paul is driving the point home. Jesus is first place. Jesus is first place. In fact, you could put it this way. Uh, Jesus' rightful place is first place. All right, say that with me. Jesus' rightful place is first place. Let me show you why. <clears throat> Look at it. Write this first thought down. He's first in creation. He's first in creation. Uh, look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Jesus is not just an emanation of God. He is God himself. He is God in the flesh. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches that God is invisible. Uh, John uh, chapter 1 verse 18 says, no one has seen God at any time. I was just reading this morning uh, in, in uh, 1 Timothy the, chapter 6 when it says that, uh, that no one has ever seen God. God is, in many ways, God is concealed from us, right? Can't see him with our eyes. But yet the Bible says that though God is concealed, he is now revealed. The God who we cannot see, God has chosen to reveal himself to us. You say, well, how, Craig, has God revealed himself to us? Well, lots of different ways. The Bible says God revealed himself to us in creation. That through all things that are made, we see his invisible qualities, his divine nature, so that, so that seeing what he has made, we are without excuse, Romans chapter 1 says. That we see the design, and we know there's a de designer. We see beauty, and we know there's an artist. We see, uh, we see uh, laws, and we know there is a lawgiver, see? And so we see that God has revealed himself in some way through creation. God has also revealed himself through the Jewish people. Uh, as God's uh, representation on the earth and through him coming the Messiah. We see through the prophets, God revealed himself through the prophets. God's revealed himself through the Bible, page after page. God is revealing who he is. But the Bible says that the ultimate uh, revelation of God, the ultimate expression of God is found in Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate revelation of God. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What does that mean? That means you want to know what God's like? Uh, look to Jesus. All right? You want to know what God thinks about something? Just listen to Jesus. You want to know how God treats people? Uh, look at Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation. He is the image of the invisible God. And then it goes on to say he's a firstborn over all creation. Now, this, this phrase trips up a lot of people. People go, oh, well, he's a firstborn. That means that he must have been born first, right? That he was a first created being before God created anything else. That's what uh, Jehovah's Witness teach, that, uh, that Jesus was a created being before anything else was created. And that what that says, Craig, is firstborn over all creation. But, uh, but to misunderstand this is to misunderstand Jewish culture. Firstborn does not only mean that you're born first in time, but it means that you're first in authority. 
The firstborn son was given two-thirds of the inheritance. Firstborn son was given authority of the father for the family. That's what the firstborn son did. And so what it's saying here is that Jesus is first in uh, authority. By the way, there are many places in the Bible where the firstborn was not born first. All right? Just think about that for just a minute. All right? Firstborn wasn't born first. Israel is called the firstborn of God, but certainly wasn't the first nation to ever exist. Uh, Jacob was called the firstborn and given all the rights of the firstborn, but he had an older brother, Esau. Ephraim was a firstborn, uh, treated as a firstborn and called the firstborn of Joseph, but yet he was not the first one. Manasseh was the first one. So there are many times when someone is called the firstborn. Now listen, the Bible says that God chose to call his son the firstborn, that is one with authority. Uh, Psalm uh, 89, 27 says it clearly, uh, I will make him my firstborn, the mightiest king on earth. That's what he says about the Messiah. Uh, I'm going I'm, I'm to call Jesus my firstborn. Why? Because he is mighty. He is king. He has all authority. Now, by the way, did Jesus ever say he had all authority? Uh, the answer to that would be yes. Uh, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Uh, I think that pretty much encompasses it all, doesn't it? All authority in heaven and on earth, that's pretty much all there is. So, so what he's saying is that he is God, he has all authority. You say, how in the world can you possibly say this? This sounds craziness to us. Well, just keep, keep reading. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Not only is Jesus God and he has all authority, but, but really through Jesus, uh, all things came to be. That through Jesus, the Father made the universe. While the Father conceived it, Christ brought it into being. Think about that for just a minute. All the vast array of uh, stars and planets, all the uh, millions upon millions of uh, galaxies that we have yet to even fully comprehend or discover. Uh, think about the, the ex expansiveness of space. All of these things were created by King Jesus. That he created all things. By the way, you remember the story in the New Testament when uh, Jesus is with his disciples in the boat, right? And the storm comes up quickly and these, these very experienced sailors are now in peril. And they cry out and they say, Jesus, help us. And Jesus kind of wakes up from a, a sleep and he says, hey, be quiet. And phew, <laughs> the waves go down to nothing. The wind stops and they marvel and say, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him. They obey him because he made them. He's King Jesus. He, he created all things. And not only did he create all things, but do you see how this builds? He's God. Uh, he's authority. He created all things. And then he goes on to say, and he sustains all things. He's, he holds all things together. We'll just look at it. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The force of gravity that keeps you from flying off this planet right now 
The very force uh, that keeps our planet in orbit and not careening toward the sun where we'd be immediately incinerated. Uh, The force of the atom which stays together, which even now scientists don't fully understand what holds that atom together. They only call it the strong nuclear force, the force of uh, creation that is predictable and reasonable and, and logical, the forces of, of nature that, that we can understand and observe. How are all these things come to be? Where, how is this all holding together? Well, he says, Jesus holds it all together. King Jesus holds it. And listen, for one minute, if he were to release his, uh, his grip on this planet, we would just incinerate in a moment. If, if he were to just release his grip on, on this planet, we would cease to exist. It is a miracle that we exist at all. It's only because of King Jesus that we do. The, minute, the very fact that you can draw a breath in your lungs, the very fact that you can reason with your mind right now, the very fact that you're on a ball spinning around uh, the earth, uh, the, the sun at, what is it, 66, something thousand, blah, 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 miles an hour? And, and, and yet, we can sit here and think about a football game? Uh, hey, listen, uh, that's because of King Jesus. You can thank him. He, he is the creator of all things. We're not just talking about some religious leader here. Uh, Jesus is first place. His rightful place is first place. He's first in creation. He's first, get this, also in the church. Look at verse 18. He's first in creation. He's first in the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, and the firstborn from the dead. So again, he's driving home the point. Jesus is in first place. His rightful place is first place. He's first in creation because he created all, and he sustains it. Now he says he's first in the church. And by the way, he, just circle three words here. Circle the word head, circle the word beginning, and circle uh, the word firstborn. Okay, because those are are three words to describe Jesus's in first place in the church. He is the head of the church. That means that he's the boss, right? That Jesus is the head. The head tells the body what to do, and and uh, body without the head is dead. All right. You can quote me on Monday. My pastor said the body without the head is dead. All right. There you go. Uh, <laughs> deep insight, right? No head, you're dead. All right, anyway, and so he's saying he is the head of the church. Uh, he's, he's, listen, without Jesus, the church would no, no longer exist, right? We'd have no reason to exist if it were not for Christ. He's the head of the church. By the way, it's not your church. It's not my church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the deacon's church. It's not the leadership council's church. It's Christ's church. Uh, it's the bride of Christ. Uh, we belong to him. He's the head of the church. Look, at, look, it also says there that he is the beginning that is that he originated the church. The church started through Jesus. That Jesus started the church. He, at one time he asked the Lee Rusan question to his disciples. He said, who do people think that I am? And they said, oh, well, uh, some say that you're a, uh, a prophet. Some say you're a, maybe Elijah coming back from the dead. Uh, some say you're a, you're a miracle worker. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in this brilliant flash of enlightenment and, and insight, said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And he said, Peter, you got it, man. You got it. And upon the foundation of this statement, I will build my church. So whose church is it? Yeah, it's Jesus' church. And, and, and who is building the church? It, it, Jesus is building the church, see. 
It's, he, he originated, it, 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 from the beginning, it originates from him. He is the beginning of the church. And then he goes on to say that he is uh, the firstborn. There's that phrase again, firstborn. He's firstborn from among the dead. Now listen, again, Jesus was not the firstborn to come to life. Jesus himself raised Lazarus from the dead uh, and, and, and several others. There were others that had been resurrected, yet Jesus is first in authority, you see. It is by his resurrection from the dead that establishes the church and empowers believers. So, listen, Jesus' rightful place is first place. He's first in creation. He's first in his church. But let me give you the, all this is driving to this last point. Are you with me? He's first in your life. He is first place in your life. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He starts with this big picture. He's first in creation. His rightful place is first place, right? So he's first in creation, and then he comes down a little bit narrower, and he says, and he's first in the church, and then gets down a little bit narrower, and it comes right down to you, right where you're sitting. And he says, he, because he is first in creation, because he's first in the church, he deserves to be first place in your life. In your life, you say, well, why? Well, obviously, because he created all things. Obviously, because he's head of the church. But listen, he should be first place in your life because he's what he's done for you. Look at, look at verse uh, 19. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, see that? Now he's talking about you. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, the Bible says that this king of the universe loves you, and he created you to know him in a deep and personal way, that he wants you to know him and walk with him and fulfill the purpose for which he's given you life. But the Bible says we have sinned against the God of the universe. We have sinned against the king of glory. And because of that, we have gone our own way, and we've become hostile in our minds. Is our culture not more, more and more hostile toward the things of God? That is the nature of us, the hostile toward doing evil things. And listen, that's not just they were doing it all. You were doing it, and I was doing it. We were far from God, hostile in our mind. And in so do, we deserved judgment. We deserve it from a righteous God. We deserve judgment. But God, in his great love for you and mercy toward us, instead of giving us judgment that we deserved he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to this planet. And Jesus Christ came as the image of God to, to, to demonstrate, to reveal God, but then to go to a cross and on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there cannot be any remission or cleansing of sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, that's why it says by the blood of his cross, on the cross he shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could be clean. He became dirty so you could be clean. He became guilty so you could be made innocent. He became, he became one under judgment so that you could be free from judgment and be the one that receives grace. Why did the king of glory die? to reconcile you to God. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? That he would love you like that? Yeah, I heard this week about one of our students in our church here, and uh, he was having a conversation with his physics teacher at his school. And uh, uh, they were talking about, you know, the universe and, and creation and all. And, and that, that student uh, started to talk about God, that God created the world. And uh, so they were going back and forth. He was sharing his faith with his physics teacher. And, and the, the physics teacher said, you mean to tell me that the God of the universe that created all of this uh, cares about me? And that young boy said, uh, yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't that great? That's a, that is exactly what he is saying in Colossians chapter 1. That, that the king of the universe that created all and sustains it all, that's the head of the church, is the one that get, went to a cross to purchase your salvation. To redeem you, to reconcile you back to God. And listen, if you will turn to him, he will change your life. The one who created all things will recreate you. The one who made all things will remake you. He will make you a different person completely, all together. Look at verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Listen, that's grace. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter how bad you screwed up, no matter how much you think God can never love you or care about you or use you, let me tell you, you're dead wrong. The Bible says that God loves you so much that he desires to pour grace upon your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to change you. I had a, a lunch with a a man named Mark this week, and um, we had a great time just sharing what God had done for us. And Mark has got a great story. He said that he um, grew up in, in West Fort Worth, and he said, by all, uh, all uh, accounts, he said, I had a reputation for doing everything wrong. He said, if you could think of a wrong thing to do, I, I pretty much did it. I had a reputation. He said, I, I, all I thought about was getting high or drunk and being with girls and just acting crazy. And he said, I was in a really bad place and I had a cousin that uh, got saved. And he said, I knew this guy. He was just as worse off as I was. And yet he got saved and he was really different. I could see the difference. And he asked me to come work for him. And so I went to go work for him and he would put like uh, uh, scriptures in my desk for me to read. (laughs) And he said, I would like read like the gospels and I read Isaiah and he said all of a sudden God started you know churning in me and and I was starting to ask questions and I could see his changed life and I was like is this really real he said I went to church service one time and I was sitting in church and I just felt so uncomfortable that when the pastor paused for a minute I slipped out the back and as I was tormented on the inside that I, I knew I couldn't keep going the way I was going and he said finally one day I prayed I said God I'm gonna go to church one more time And he said, if you don't show up, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. He went to a church service, a small little church. He sat down right next to a senior adult lady. He said, she just kept patting my leg. (laughs) She's just loving on him. And he said, the preacher got up to preach and he was preaching. And then he stopped in the middle of his message. And he said, there's somebody here that you've been trying to get the love from your dad that you never got. And you've been trying to seek it out in drugs and sex and trying to find it in other things. And he said, you're empty. And he said, I want you to know that if you will turn to Jesus Christ, he will change your life. If you will turn to Jesus, he will change you. And he said, in that moment, I knew he was talking to me. 
And he said, I don't even know how I did it, but I stepped out and I walked down to the front and I fell on my knees. And he said, Craig, I cannot fully explain what happened to me other than Jesus Christ changed me on the inside. I am not the same man that I used to be. I have been changed on the inside. Listen, that may be you today. You may be saying, you know what? You know, I'm, yeah, we heard a song called Chain Breaker, but he can never break my chains. My chains of addiction or my chains of pornography or my chains of depression or my chains of whatever the thing is that's holding you back. He can never really fix my marriage. He can never really, he can never really uh, draw my wayward child. He can never really do anything different in my life. But listen, listen, he will. He will if you turn to him. I want you to look at verse 22 or verse 23 just very quickly. How, how does this happen? Look at verse 23. He said, if, Jesus will, Jesus will do that, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. What I'm sharing with you folks is the hope of the gospel. And he said, it can be yours. Christ can be yours. You can change if, he says. Now, by the way, this is not an if of doing. He doesn't say if you go to church more and if you read your Bible more and if you try harder and if you be more religious, then these things will happen to you. That's not what he's saying. This is not an if of doing. This is an if of believing. If you continue in faith, if you turn to Jesus Christ, he says, and believe in him, he will come into your life and he will change you. If you turn from your sin and turn to Christ, you can be made new. If, but if you say, no, preacher, I don't want that. No, I go, I'll try it on my own. Then you'll never really know the changing power of Jesus. Listen, Jesus' rightful place is first place. First in creation, first in the church, first in your life and in mine. Is he first place in your life?